0: My name is uh, Jeff. I'm one of the pastors here, as you know. Um, We have uh, Kevin kind of tipped you off about this, what was coming up in terms of this uh, announcement. But we have really a wonderful affirmation of uh, Providence this morning. You know, for the last at the end of the year, we were like in December twenty-seven thousand dollars behind, and there were um, a number of communications went out uh, to you, the church body. And uh, it took us a little while to uh, get through the end of the year, uh, bookkeeping and whatever else. Uh, last year, though, we committed to raise as a church $345,000 in the budget. The 27000 we were short. Actually, uh, by the end of the year, we made up totally that $27,000 $4,900 over on top of that. So that is up that's a huge answer to prayer. And uh, on behalf of the elders, I just want to say we are uh, grateful for your faithfulness and your willingness to just uh, step up to the plate. Uh, we're very uh, thankful. Uh, we've begun a series on grace renewed loving God together, loving our church family together, loving our neighbor together. And uh, last week was uh, just getting out of the gate with that with uh, Marcus. Uh, last week he dealt with the importance of loving God together in the weekly gatherings. That is an important discipline. Uh, Together with the family of God is not some place we go when we don't have anything else to do. But as he developed from that scripturally last week, that is a priority. That is a norm, can I say? That is a norm, a disciplined habit to develop. Unless you're on vacation or if, unless you're sick, unless there's some unique reason why you shouldn't be here, be with a family. Not only do you need us, we need you. You know what I mean? And so that's, a, that's a, a pretty good reminder of where we need to go. Um, uh, this week and next week, I would like to drill down into the issue of stewardship and giving. Now, if you're a visitor with us for the first time and you say, you know, the church is always asking for money, <laughs> you should know we have not preached on this for six years. six years. I've been here six years. This topic has never been preached on, as least that I can recall. So, yeah, lest you think that we're always hammering on this issue, actually stewardship is a pretty important um, aspect of the disciplined Christian life, and uh, frankly, for us to talk about it in biblical ways is really uh, countercultural. I would argue. In a society that screams, get all you can, take all you can, keep all you can, And in a society that has championed selfishness and consumerism and stinginess, developing a spirit of consistent generosity is an important part of a godly Christ-like character. You know this guy? This is Stephen King, author. Certainly not a believer as far as I understand. Uh, He was hit by a truck a little while ago. And he wrote in a Family Circle magazine an article on what you pass on. It was a wake-up call for Stephen King when he was hit by a truck. He said, a couple years ago, I found out what, what I found out what you can't take it with you means. I, find out, I found out while I was lying in a ditch at the side of a country road, covered with mud and blood, and with the tibia of my right leg poking out the side of my jeans like a branch of a tree taken down in a thunderstorm. I had a MasterCard in my wallet. But when you're lying in a ditch with broken glass in your hair, no one accepts MasterCard. (laughs) We all know that life is ephemeral. But on that particular day and in the months that followed, I got a painful but extremely valuable look at life's simple backstage truths. We come in naked and broke. We may be dressed when we go out, but we're just as broke. Warren Buffett, going to go out broke. Bill Gates, going out broke. Tom Hanks? Going out broke. Steve King? Broke. Not a crying dime. All the money you earn, all the stocks you buy, all the mutual funds you trade, all of that is mostly smoke and mirrors. It's going to be a quarter past getting late, whether you tell the time on a Rolex or a Timex. No matter how large your bank account, no matter how many credit cards you have, Sooner or later, things will begin to go wrong with the only three things you have that you can really call your own, your body, your spirit, and your mind. So I want you to consider, he says, making your life one long gift to others. And why not? All you have is on loan anyway. All that lasts is what you pass on. And why should we refuse? Because we're going to take it with us? Please. Right now we have the power to do great good for others and for ourselves. And so I ask you to begin giving and to continue as you began. I think you'll find in the end that you've got far more than you ever had and did more good than you ever dreamed. Now, if you want another theologian, here's one. Tom Brady. Actually, both of these guys make no professions of faith, but they're pretty insightful on the issue of money and the importance of it in life. He says, from a person who makes about $2 million a year, why do I have three, now five, I think, right? Six. Why do I have six Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say... Hey, man, this is what it is. I've reached my goal, my dream, my life. Me? I think, God, it's got to be more than this. You don't have to be a superstar even to recognize Solomon's perspective on this. Wisdom. Solomon's perspective about money out of Ecclesiastes 5. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money. Whoever has money will never have enough of it. The more you have, the more you want. It's like crack cocaine. What advantage is there of the owner? Oh, when goods increase, they increase who eat them, right? The more you have, the more people want part of it. Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much. <coughs> But the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. The more you have, the more you have to worry about. There's a grievous ill, evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. And those riches were lost in a bad venture. It's possible to have stuff and it'd be a detriment to you. Not doesn't have to be. As he came from his mother's womb... He shall go again, naked as he came, and he shall take nothing with for his toil. So we come in naked, we go out naked with nothing. We know that intellectually, not to let money become our God, not to let money get in the driver's seat, to be what makes all of our decisions for us. But it's hard making it a part of our DNA so that it informs the way we live and the decisions we make. So uh, this week and next week, I'm going to spend a little bit of time uh, recalibrating our minds around the issue of old school word is stewardship. I think the word we would, I haven't used that word lately, have you? I think it's the word manager. How do we manage our lives? We're responsible for all of this. Our physical, our emotional, our spiritual, our resources. We're we're responsible to manage all that to the glory of God. But what I want to focus on today and next week Uh, is the issue of money, and I'm not talking financial peace university. There is a class that's coming up in February, and and knowing the nuts and bolts of budgeting and spending and saving and investing, I'm not talking about that. What I want to deal here with this morning is attitudes towards giving and the attitudes that inform ultimately our actions, okay? So a snapshot that embraces uh, a multitude of issues is the case study of the passage that we read uh, in the scripture reading. 2 Corinthians 8, it's actually the longest passage in the Bible on this issue. And so stick with me. I uh, was a university professor, you know, for 20 some years. So I want to kind of walk you through a bit of the background and uh, historical context, but because to make it meaningful. Um, uh, the Corinthian church, I don't know if you can see it on this map, is right here. It's the Mediterranean Sea. Corinth is here. Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, and he is talking about a famine that is going on in Jerusalem on the other side of the Mediterranean Ocean. And as he has been traveling around, he, he's, this is a front burner issue with him, as he tells people about the great desperate need for the church in Jerusalem. And as he writes the church in Corinth, he uses an illustration the church is up here in Macedonia which is northern Greece. Uh, Because of this great famine, these people were in desperate circumstances. And what's interesting is that uh, as he spread the word, the churches up all the way up in Macedonia, Greek Gentile churches, Gentile churches are the ones who latch on to that need and they are anxious to go the extra mile to help folks who are suffering down here in Jerusalem. And as Paul writes to Corinth, he says, Let me tell you about what these folks are doing, how they are responding. It's a great illustration of really cross-cultural concern for socioeconomic issues when people are struggling. And the amazing thing is, if you know 2 Corinthians 8, as we read that passage, the real issue with the churches in uh, Macedonia is they were in desperate circumstances themselves. They were in very difficult circumstances, and who steps up to the plate but those concerning folks in Jerusalem. I was trying to imagine what this was like. If you watched uh, the news in the past uh, couple of weeks, Puerto Rico has been devastated, devastated by storms, uh, hurricanes. I mean, very difficult circumstances. But now imagine if this week in Denver we had earthquakes or whatever, whatever would be a natural disaster in uh, Denver. Imagine the city of Denver was devastated um, physically, socially. The idea that the Puerto Rican churches would be anxious and willing to just jump in and help out the folks in Denver, we would say, wow, as as difficult as circumstances you've got yourself, you want to help us? That's what's going on here because you have people who are in very adverse circumstances, willing to help other people who are in even worse circumstance. And Paul says, as he teaches the Corinthian church, I want you to learn something from this. I want you to get something from what's going on here. Because that is what happens when God is in the driver's seat of people and churches' lives. They have a deep concern for other folks. You picking up on that? It's a wonderful case study. And so actually the whole passage begins and ends with the grace of God. Chapter 8. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. It's the longest passage. It goes all the way into chapter 9, and in chapter 9, it ends with an emphasis on the grace of God. So in the beginning, he's talking about what's going on is is a work of the grace of God. He ends with that, and everything he describes in between, which we're going to look at, is reflection of the grace of God of what's going on in their midst. So... uh, we long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God uh, of what's going on here. I think what's particularly interesting, especially in light of our society, when the church is understood to be talking about money, TV preachers and everything else, it's, it's, it just almost, you just almost want to go take a shower, don't you? Just because it's, it has been so perverted. And they're exploiters. People have found it. the church is an easy place to exploit people. Um, but Paul's not exploiting people. And as a matter of fact, he's not giving any high-powered sales pitch. He's not twisting any arms. All he's doing is saying, these are brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. They are suffering. And these folks jump on board and say, can we help out? Can we help out? They gave generously out of unbelievably adverse circumstances themselves. Otherwise, what do we make of this kind of language? In a severe test of affliction, apparently persecution, their abundance of joy in the, can you imagine? Joy in the midst of affliction, and their extreme poverty. It's not like they got extra money laying around to say, here, we can spare this. These folks were given it. Uh, Oh, out of, the, out of their own desperation. It has overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, but not only according to their means, they gave beyond their means, begging us. <laughs> Can you imagine? Think about that. Let that sink in. Here are folks who are desperate for themselves. They've got families. They've got kids. They have deep concern. They've got got places where they can use that money. They are giving it up of what they need because they have a deep concern for somebody else who is also in desperate circumstances. I think it's it's interesting that they ignored all the possible arguments that they could could have come up with to not give. Put yourself in their circumstance. Can't you come up with some? If you were in the Macedonian church, I could come up with 10 reasons right off the top of my head of why I would like to give, but I can't. They ignored all those possible arguments to not give. And in the severe test of affliction, when they probably could have wanted to hold on to their own stuff because they know they needed to, in their extreme poverty, frankly, it would have been a perfect time for, for them to say to Paul, Paul, don't talk to us about them. Have you seen the circumstances we're in? We've got our own problems. We'll pray for them. We're about to starve to death ourselves. We can't send anything. Check back next year. Maybe we'll have our act together a little bit, a little bit more secure than at that point. That totally would have been me. They had been touched, though, by the grace of God. They knew what people felt like when they were facing severe poverty and hunger. They had been there themselves. They had been so blessed by God, they wanted to give and give abundantly. They were begging earnestly for the favor to do that. Some of you know I've taught urban ministry for 20 years at the university level. One of the experiences, I would have them out on the street for three days just to learn what it's like to be in a parallel universe of being on the street. They weren't sleeping in boxes on the church lawn, you know, they were actually on the street. And uh, what surfaced as they were out there was um, the people who were most willing to help them when they were out on the street, panhandling, whatever. The people who were most likely to help them, who do you suppose it was? People who had been there before. People who had been there themselves. The most disrespectful to them on the street? Middle class. Middle-class folks who wouldn't give them the time of day look at them, you know, the only, their only response to any is get a job. They had been there before. They knew what the need was. And they gave not only according to their means, they gave beyond their means. It sounds almost like Acts chapter 2. And we're happy to do so. Beg to be able to participate. Now, I say all that just to say what? That one of the great marks of a heart that has truly been touched by God counts giving as a privilege, even when it's difficult to give. A heart that is to, the tendency to say, I'm willing to give as long as I don't need it, and I have some extra to give away, I got some extra money lying around, yeah, then I'll help somebody. That's not a reflection of the character of God. The character of God is people who are willing to sacrificially give simply because their hearts have been changed. Part of being created in the image of God, I would argue, is willingness to give. God so loved that he gave his only son, John 3.16. And that's the key right there. They begged to be able to take part in this relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, they first gave themselves to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. When you give yourself to God first, it is totally natural to, to want to give. It's like, as one guy described, he said, "Grace, the grace of God in your life is like a lightning strike. What follows a lightning strike? Thunder, yeah. He said, when you, when you get the lightning strike of a grace of God, it, it's such a shock in a person's life, it changes them, and then you get the thunder of giving from God's people. Actually, more than one person has said, um, it is easy to measure how much grace believers are experiencing because you can measure their giving. Now, as, as best I know how, I'm trying to talk about this without fussing at us. You know what I mean? Haven't, haven't you sat through enough sermons where somebody just fussed at you about you're not giving enough? I'm, I'm not. What, I'm, what I'm trying to do, as best I know how, is to take a picture of a snapshot of people who gave sacrificially. Because they loved what Jesus had done in their lives, and because they loved God, they loved people. That's not actually where I want to spend most of our time this morning. Uh, uh, that is what I would call crisis giving. When there is a need, and the people of God hear about it, and they say, hey, let's pitch in. That has happened a significant number of times in the last year at Providence, and you're aware of that, right? Right? Uh, The Edwards family, right? Just recently, Edwards family whose uh, wife died and the whole issue with the children. Um, uh, Providence took up a spontaneous offer for school supplies for their kids, took up a spontaneous offering to help him uh, uh, with the funeral costs of his wife. We have had numbers of folks, uh, I, I say this publicly just because it was a public thing when uh um when mandy and joaquin were going through a crisis just in the in the fall uh the church s- spontaneously gave money to be able to go back to right alaska for the uh, funeral of your mom and sister who were tragically uh, killed in a car accident what i'm saying is god's people are anxious to jump on board when those kind of giving uh, comes about those opportunities Uh, So I think probably what I want to say is on the part of the elders, we just want to sprinkle holy water on what you have done as a church when it comes to crisis giving. You know, that's a good thing. And next week, I think I want to talk with folks about as individuals and families and CGs of creative ways in which people give out of their circumstances. But here's where I want to zero in um, the rest of our time together is there are actually a couple different issues about giving. I'm taking antihistamine since my mouth is so dry. That's why I'm drinking as I go. Um, Regular, consistent giving is also a part of the discipline of giving on the part of uh, Christians. And here's where I would like uh, to go and talk about this. Give it an Old Testament uh, framework. God's training wheels teaching his people about Regular, consistent giving, rather than just whenever there's a crisis, is uh, issues surrounding the tithe. Anybody recognize that word? Uh, training wheels, uh, <laughs> if, if you want a better illustration for us as adults, here it is. Uh, there's a way in which you know training wheels help a person to develop the skill set of riding a bike. At some point, you can take the training wheels off, and you don't need that. But the, the framework teaching people The discipline of giving uh, on a regular basis is the issue of the tithe. And uh, there's a lot of misunderstanding around the whole issue of the tithe. There is very legalistic folks who, uh, you know, it's like, hey, the first 10%, for example, of your paycheck goes to the church. There are other people who say, no, 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 that's Old Testament. Uh, We're in the age of grace giving. And so I want to work from both of those ends and develop this a little bit with you. A lot of misunderstanding uh, around it. Um, there actually is more than there are several verses in the Old Testament that talk about the tithe. It's not just a ten percent tithe, and I'll give you some frame of reference on this. Um, Leviticus twenty-seven: every tithe of the land. This is rooted in the law. Every tithe of the land, whether the seed of the land or fruit of the trees, whatever, that's the Lord. The first tithe. That's the term is tenth. That belongs to the Lord, and then that's actually broken down into a broader frame of. Uh, reference concerning certain things. For example, support, there's a tithe of support for those who serve in the temple, the priests and Levites. And you see that there, in return for the service that they do. So you have 12 tribes, when God took them into the land, 11 tribes got land. The 12th tribe, the Levites, didn't get any land. They lived from the tithe of what the rest of the tribes uh, gave. And so they were supported in that way. God was teaching them. That's not a bad thing. God is teaching them. He's giving them the framework by which to support people who minister uh, to you. Support for those who serve. There's also a tithe of 10% per year for feasts. It kind of lays up money. for. <laughs> God is kind of into parties, you know, kind of feasts. There's a place for celebration and feast by God's people. All this year, you know, we're talking about the Jubilee, the you know, various ways. Listen, we, we, we like to get together and eat. And, uh, that, but that is rooted in the Old Testament. And, and, and God says, I want you to make sure you got resources for that, so we set that aside. There's also a third tithe that was collected every three years for the poor and folks who are on the margins. That's kind of like what a government would do. You know, they give so that those who are out on the edges, that everybody's needs would be... Um, um, provided for. So if you, the idea that well, tithe is 10%. No, actually Old Testament Israelites were required by God 23.5% is what they were commanded to give. That was the expectation. It wasn't voluntary. It's like, well, if you feel like giving you know, give it. No. God said this is what I want to build into you the discipline of giving to those issues. As a matter of fact, if you want to be know how serious they were about it, anything less than a giving the tithe that was spelled out here, was considered robbing God. Now that's pretty serious business. Will a man rob God? This is Malachi. Remember by the last book of the Old Testament, uh, Israel was just adrift. They had just gone their own way. They are totally jacked up in terms of their living before God. And God calls them on the carpet in Malachi, and he says, listen, we would you rob god and their response is us how are we robbing you god and he says here by your tithes and contributions your tithes and offerings to take what god has commanded us to give now i'm going to get to don't hear me don't don't hear me saying that we are under the law i'm not going to i'm i want to give you a different frame of reference on this but the point is some people really bristle when you talk about the tithe as a model for giving in church. I'm not arguing for it to be law. Uh, Well, let me just put it this way. Those who argue for grace giving, uh, actually, I think there's a way to uh, combine both of these into a third way. The tithe is this framework. When people say, no, we're not under the law. We're grace-giving. We're not slavishly tied to 10%. We are liberated to practice grace-giving. Grace-giving is you give whatever you want. Give it to God. God give it as God leads you. Giving any other way is just legalistic. What can I say? Uh, anything can become legalistic. Anything can become legalistic. The solution is not to stop doing something because it could be legalistic. Church attendance can be legalistic. Bible reading can be legalistic. Prayer, quiet time, dress, drinking, eating, whether or not you can go to the movies. I grew up in a context in which I went to a university where you were not allowed to go to a movie theater. Can you imagine? And then, you know, some folks say, okay, well, you can go, but it can't be over PG. And then it's like, oh, okay, then we're really liberal. You can go PG-13, but not R. It's like we got all these kind of frameworks around this. Now, anything can become legalistic. But when sometimes, can I just say, I'll be honest with you, I don't know how much experience you've had with with this, and this is not true of everybody, but I will say this. There are a lot of folks, when they talk about grace giving, that they're free to give whatever they want. What they mean is they're free to give nothing. Give whatever you feel like means, frankly, never of us, many of us never feel like giving at all. Let God lead you to give. Apparently, God leads a lot of people not to give. Have you seen the st- statistics? First of all, 2.6% of believing Christians, professing Christians, actually, they give 2.6% of their income. 40% of Christians in America give nothing. Give nothing. Now, what do we do about that? I would say that's kind of the elephant in the room among um, church folks. Because frankly, in our society, majority society at least, people don't like to talk about money. You don't talk about money. You don't talk about salaries. You don't talk about money. You don't talk about giving. And frankly, the, the, the elders, pastoral staff, nobody knows what people give here at church. So don't think I'm looking at your giving. I have no access to that. Scott does because that's his job. But... We ought to consider the issue of money and giving as something that the family talks about. We're talking about, listen, I'm not even talking, if, if you're not, if you don't consider, wait, let me back up. If you consider Providence Bible Church your home, then this is a legitimate, I want to say, this is a legitimate family discussion. You ever have discussions in your family about important stuff? Okay, this is one of the things. We just have to talk honestly about our commitment, when we become covenant partners, to say, hey, I'm all in. I'm all in on what we're doing and why we're doing this, you know? And so uh, I think it's, it's legitimate to say, hey, let's, let's talk about the framework by which we give, and I'm going to get to a point where we talk uh, more specifically. I would say we shouldn't be too quick to say the tithe is not taught in the New Testament. Now, I go carefully here, but we have to do something with Matthew 23. When Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the other. He's not saying focus on justice and mercy and don't worry about the tithe. He's saying, listen, you ought to, you ought to address those issues without Forgetting the first part. Galatians 6, let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Now, I would argue, whether or not you argue that the tithe is in the New Testament, the principle is certainly there um, from the Levitical uh, passage there in Numbers. Not promoting legalism, but I think it's worth considering the example. It's not intended as a heavy burden. I mean, why would God have instituted this in the Old Testament? To teach generosity and financial responsibility. It's just part of stuff, what it means to grow up spiritually. And even if it is not in the New Testament, are you still with me? Can it serve as a model for us in church today? I mean, if the average Christian gives 2.6 of their income to the church or any Christian cause, is that something to talk about? And is the tithe a reasonable illustration, to at least a starting point to compare talking about? It? And even more important than that, is it reasonable that God expects, expects less of us than poor Israelites? Poor Israelites, agrarian society, God says this is a healthy thing for you to give 23.5% of your income. I'm not arguing for that. I'm just saying, should we feel good about giving 2.6% while poor Israelites in the first century uh, gave to that degree. (coughs) A good idea is a good idea whether it's law or not. You understand my point? Let me illustrate. Growing up, my uh, family had a 1954 Ford. Uh, These were the years before seatbelts. Uh, as a matter of fact, those of you who are a little older remember, when you had cars like this, there was a the thing up in the back window. All the kids would uh, jockey for position. Who, when we were riding somewhere, who got to lay up in the, on the thing underneath the back window? Some of you had no frame of reference on it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> actually, talk about no car seats. The car, that, that car had no back seat. Had no back seat. Denise will tell you, my sister. We grew up together. Four of us would stand up on the back and hold on to the front seats like this, right across. We were small enough that we didn't hit our heads. So four of us are in the back seat, standing up, holding on to the front seat. You know, and, <laughs> <laughs> and the door was tied with a rope that, that broke. You think I'm kidding. I'm not. But, I mean, can you imagine driving around with four kids? You know, you turn a corner and we all go this way, we all go this way. <laughs> Um, now, eventually they pass seatbelt laws, which is a good thing, have saved a lot of lives. Imagine if they revoked the seatbelt laws? If they revoked the seatbelt laws, would I say to my grandchildren, "Oh guys, we don't have to adhere to that legalism anymore." Here, why don't you stand up in the back, you know? Listen. Even if they rebu- even if they revoked seatbelt laws, I would still strap my grandkids into car seats. Why? Because a good idea is a good idea, whether it's a law or not. It's, it's the training wheel kind of thing. You know what I mean? It's like tra- training wheels help us to develop the habit. And even if in the New Testament it is not the principle is there, but even if it's not strictly law. It's still there, and it's still good, and people in this auditorium will testify that they have grown up for years uh, holding to a tithe principle, and it has been good for them. They didn't argue back and forth whether they should give you know, 8 or 9% or 15% or whatever. It's like the floor for the whole discussion was understood to be a 10%. If your, if your income got 10%, would you die? Would, if it got cut 10%, would you die? It's easier, the more money you make, the easier it is to just do the 10%. I would say there's a place probably where you make enough money where a t- simply giving 10% would be l- less than what God expected. In other words, the more your income goes up, probably the more you ought to give. If you, have, if you, have, if you earn $200,000 a year, if you think that you can scrape by on $180,000, it's like maybe God wants to have a different conversation with you. Than the person who's making thirty-five thousand. So there is a proportionate kind of aspect there, but um, all I would say this now: if you think tithe is legalistic, that's all right. But then don't give ten; give eleven, you know, twelve. Or whatever. <laughs> we don't want you to be holding that legalistic. Listen, I I would say this: I can't imagine standing before the judgment seat of Christ on some day and making a case of why I lived in the most affluent nation in the world a wash in material goods, and justify why I gave less than the poorest farmer of first century Israel. Of course, and it, can be, it can be abused and misunderstood, but it can also be a helpful aspect of spiritual growth. Would people learn to give and learn to give as a, just as an act of what it means to be a follower of Jesus? Now, I go, I go carefully on this. I would say this, as much as as, as overwhelmingly grateful as we um, were for folks stepping up to the plate and meeting that $27,000 deficit, it's actually um, puzzling that we were $27,000 under budget when actually our attendance had increased about on an average of 30 people over the course of the year. Beginning of 2019, we commit to a certain amount of money, through the course of the year, we actually not only keep the same people, but we increase thirty more people, but the but the giving was less. Hallelujah! People step up to the plate. I would argue that may be a function of just developing a consistency of giving. You know what I mean? A consistent aspect of giving. Uh, so um, this coming year. Uh, we have committed, not elders, this is a congregation. We as a congregation have committed to even $19,000 more than last year. So everything that came in, uh, including the $27,000, um, plus accounting for growth, we expect to add another 19000 more. That means, bottom line, family business, family talk. We need to look for ways to give consistently on a regular basis as a spiritual discipline so that we're not in December asking you with special emails and everything else, hey, can you step up to the plate and help us out? That's actually why we passed out some things today. Uh, if you came in this morning, there's a way to give regularly. And if this would make it easier for you, now some of you are so disciplined, you write the same check on the same day of the month, you know, that's n- not me. Um, but it might be a good help uh, of. For you, as well as the church, to fill out the paperwork today that will allow you to have an automatic deduction. You can do that on your credit card or your bank account. The stuff that you got today in your hand when you came in the auditorium, you can give automatically. Just fill that paperwork out, and you can give automatically uh, have it come off your credit card. Uh, you can also... Uh, meet in the foyer afterwards, where we will have a couple people and computers that will show you how to have an automatic bank deduction, where it just comes out automatically. Uh, they'll also show you how you can do that on your phone. Does does this sound unspiritual to you? <laughs> yeah, you understand. You understand. A lot of folks will say, uh, "I like it when you talk spiritual stuff. Don't talk money." But I would just say, "Hey." as part of what it means to be a responsible, disciplined follower of Jesus who takes care of the business of the church. Uh, you can also write a check or give cash on Sunday, uh, but in just a minute, I'm gonna take a few, I, want, I want us to take a few minutes uh, and encourage us to take that bold step right here in the auditorium. Don't feel pressure. I'm not twisting your arm. I'm saying, if this would be a help to you, you could fill the paperwork out right now. We're going to take about three minutes in a moment to do that. When you're dismissed from here, you can go out and talk to the folks that can get it started uh, on the computer in the foyer. This is your church family. If this is your church family, if you're visiting, if you listen, I'm talking to family. Now, let me finish with this. You can't take it with you. You've heard that said, haven't you? You can't take it with you. But you can send it on ahead. You can send it on ahead. That's Jesus' point in Matthew 6. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break through and steal. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Every time we give, we give a little bit more of our selfishness away. We give a little bit more of our self-centeredness away. And so if you think about this, Jesus is not saying that it's wrong to store up stuff on earth. He's saying it's stupid. You understand? Because why would you put, why would you store up stuff that's going to, that you're going to lose it when you could send it ahead and have it forever invested worthwhile? You can't take it with you. And listen, you need to pay bills. You need to provide for your family. You need to, you know, groceries. I mean, I'm, I'm not talking about all that. I'm, I'm saying, beyond what we need, do we hold what we have loosely? One more thing, and then I'll close with this. This is, this is $100 Confederate money. If, if you were a millionaire in the Confederacy in the South, when did the war end? 1865? If you were a millionaire or billionaire in Confederate money, and you knew that the war was winding down, and you knew that the whole Confederacy was going to collapse, what would be the smart thing for you to do with all of your Confederate money? Convert it into American dollars in the North because you would preserve it. You You would be preserving what you had Whereas if you held on to it where you were right now in the Confederate South, at some point it was going to all be gone. All I'm saying is, we're living in a world that's kind of like the Confederacy. (laughs) We have the opportunity to send it ahead, to convert it into stuff that will last. And uh, we'll take time next week uh, to talk a little bit more of how the the church really managed through some of that stuff in the New Testament. But... um, can we, do th- can we do this? I, I, this may be a bold step, but I, I do this with the best of intention. Can we take three minutes to say if, if this is a great opportunity as a, step, a bold step of action to fill out the paperwork that you brought in if that's what you want to do? If you want to do it in the four year later, uh, after we dismiss, we'll do that. Let's just take two or three minutes. If you need a pen or if you need a form, uh, ush- ushers will help you out. This is family stuff. We're not supporting the TV programs. We're not supporting private jets. The stuff that Providence supports is people stuff, people in this community, people in this church. Jesus certainly didn't have any problem talking about money. You know, um, you've heard it said, haven't you, that there, there, is, there is more in the Bible about money than about hell. It's, it's, a, it's an integral part of our spiritual walk. And a discipline that it's needed. So um, can I finish with this? Uh, the reason we give. Is because God is a giver. God so loved that he gave. His only begotten son. And so if we are givers. We're simply reflecting the character. That he's developed in us. And that's the model for us. Jesus gave his all for you and he's asking you to commit your all to him all that you are all that you ever hope to be all the stuff you have it's all his now what Stephen King said is all on loan Solomon said don't let it become your God to give uh, because we are made in his image and uh, yeah, I'm going to end on that can we stand together We're uh, to close out here, I'm going to ask the prayer team to come. I also will be uh, serving as anointing elder over here. Uh, uh, where, wherever your spiritual need is, it's not often. Uh, one time in six years, two times in six years. By next week, uh, to talk about a topic such as money, we don't often do it. And so, uh, but there are other things that may be a burden to you uh, in your personal life, relationally, spiritually, emotionally we have a prayer team here and i would love to meet with you on the side here as well i don't know what the next step is for you uh, but i invite you uh, ask god what it is and then take that step by faith father we're asking that you would speak to us now wherever our need is would you meet us there and help us to take the next step uh, by the grace of god do good in the lives of your people call us to yourself. Call us to a higher plane. And we want we want to walk with you in ways that are pleasing to you and represent you well. We commit ourselves afresh to you this morning in the name of Jesus. Amen.